Hello, and welcome back to 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, bringing to you this week news from the United States, Brazil, Argentina, and a see you in hell, that's the celebration of a dead fascist from history, from Chile. So I guess that means that this is a pretty Americas-focused episode. Going to start out with the United States. Specifically, we're talking about CPAC. CPAC is the Conservative Political Action Committee. It's the biggest gathering of right-wingers and conservatives in the United States and increasingly internationally that happens every year. I talked about the lead-up to this last week. Well, it happened last week. It happened from Wednesday to Saturday and into Sunday. This is a big event right-wing people from all over the United States and internationally spoke. Donald Trump gave the keynote address. It was essentially a campaign speech about Biden and the coming economic failure if the United States continues to operate under the Biden administration. Basically exactly what you'd expect from Donald Trump. A little bit more vitriolic was the speech by Donald Trump's former you know, grand vizier, Steve Bannon. Steve Bannon's speech was all about praising Donald Trump. He also said that there would be 50 years of MAGA, that is, that Donald Trump's right-wing movement that is currently trying to run the United States, basically, will last for 50 more years. Bannon also hosted an important sort of like mixer event for right-wing influencers and younger people, which CPAC has been struggling to keep a hold of recently. It seems that they've lost a little bit of their verve and vigor, and that CPAC might be like possibly going to fade into the background in the next couple years. Although predictions of its death have been long and extremely common. So who knows? International speechers had some ranging results. You know, some of them were extremely successful. Some of them were pretty much duds. One of the duds was former UK Prime Minister Liz Truss. Uh, apparently nobody knew who she was. Not a surprise, she was Prime Minister for like much less than a month. Approximately the lifetime of a refrigerated head of lettuce. People like Nigel Farage did okay. You know, people know who Nigel Farage is. He's been a speaker at CPAC for a while. Santiago Abascal, the founder and leader of Spain's Vox Party, their extreme right-wing party, apparently spoke without Spanish translation to a bunch of Republicans. So he just like got up and spoke in Spanish without any simultaneous translation to a room full of white Republicans. Uh, not exactly the best idea, Abascal, if you want to get, you know, fascist <laughs> white people on your side in the United States. Javier Merley, the president of Argentina, did a little bit better, but his speech was also kind of mostly an economics lecture, so who knows exactly how well that could have turned out. As happens every year, openly Nazi people were present at CPAC. This time, seemingly, Nick Fuentes was not present. He's usually there, usually in order to get theatrically thrown out and to host his own event alongside CPAC, but it seems that he skipped it this time. One Ryan Sanchez was there. He is a Fuentes affiliate, though. He's an open neo-Nazi and apparently had a CPAC official badge. Probably the most disturbing thing that happened at CPAC, though, is that Jack Posobiec, who is one of the people who popularized the Pizzagate conspiracy theory, you know, the idea that 
that Democrats are just engaging in some sort of blood cabal and taking the blood of children to drink it in order to achieve eternal life. Basically, the blood libel, anti-Semitic lies from the 19th century translated directly onto the leaders of the Democratic Party. Posobiec, in one of his events, which was a panel event, he just openly said, like, yeah, our goal, the people here at CPAC, our goal is to, quote, end democracy. There's a direct quote from him at CPAC. He just said it right out there. In further news in the United States, Robert Bowman and Robert Rundo were released early by United States court. These are two neo-Nazis who had to be extradited to the United States from Romania on charges of rioting, you know, on right-wing rioting. Rundo has been taken back into custody by the United States after he tried to flee via the Mexican border because, you know, he knows that he's actually probably still going to go to trial for something else. Rundo is a particularly important figure on the right wing because he founded the Rise Above movement, which is often known by its acronym R-A-M, RAM. RAM was founded by Rundo in Southern California in the 2010s, and like I said, it's a pretty openly neo-Nazi street gang. Rundo and Bowman then transitioned into running the active club model of fascist gang. This is another form of fascist violent gang which proclaims itself to be a martial arts club. You know, that's what they say that they're doing when, you know, asked about what the activities of this particular organization are. In Missouri, it's been revealed that the candidate who is at the top of the sort of ballot for who is going to be Missouri's candidate for the governorship is an active member of the KKK. Now, by at the top of the ballot, I don't mean that he's the most likely candidate to win. He's a crank. He's probably going to lose. But by luck of the draw, he happened to be put at the top of the ballot. This guy is Daryl McLeon McClanahan III, a right-wing crank from Missouri who has been a perennial candidate on the extreme right in the Republican Party, first for the Senate and now for the governorship. He has said that he was just, quote, a, an unofficial member of the Klan, although there have been lots of photos of him with the Klan, you know, taking pictures with the Klan. He's even depicted in front of a burning cross. Like, this guy is just a Klan member. Like I said, he's not going to win, but the fact is that you could just vote for him. You could just say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want him to be the governor of the state of Missouri, and he's a Klansman. That's something that the Republican Party of the state of Missouri will just let you do. Moving on to Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro's trial is continuing on its way. It's very likely that he will be facing some actual criminal investigations and situations as things continue to escalate. He is defending himself in the only way that he possibly can, because legally, you know, he's kind of screwed. He's defending himself in the court of public opinion, specifically by holding a bunch of rallies in Brazil's big cities. Recently, he held an enormous rally in Brazil's biggest city of Sao Paulo. Now, recall that in Brazil, it's sort of the opposite the way it is in the United States. Fascist and right-wing voters tend to congregate in urban areas, whereas the people who voted for the leftist president, Lula de Silva, actually are from the countryside. So the cities are Bolsonaro's real stronghold. And he held a big, 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 big rally. 
saying that, you know, he shouldn't be arrested and to defend himself for his actions on the January 8th attempted coup. This is not a surprise. Bolsonaro has extremely large numbers of supporters. He won almost 50% of the vote against Lula. He almost just won against Lula. Almost didn't need to stage a coup. Additionally, the government of Brazil is continuing its investigation of this coup. Specifically, they're investigating business people who funded it. You know, people who paid people to attend, the people who paid for the chartered buses that brought all these people to Brasilia, etc. Finally, in Argentina, Javier Millet, who I spoke of before in his speeches at CPAC, is floundering severely. His government is running up against the problems of Argentine federalism, which is something that Argentine presidents and leaders have run up against many, many times. Specifically, he is in a conflict with the governors of the various provinces of Argentina over cuts to government spending and, you know, aid allotments to some of the less prosperous states in the country. He's specifically running into problems with the state of Chubut, which is a southern state in Argentina having a lot of conflict with the federal government. Millet has openly suggested that he just plans to rule by decree, that he doesn't really want to have any votes in Congress for his activities. And lastly, going to close out this week like I do every week with See You in Hell, a segment celebrating the deaths of prominent right-wing figures in history. This week, we're going to Chile, we're talking about a guy named Carlos Keller Ruiz, better known by his name Keller. Keller was a Chilean Nazi during the lead-up to World War II and a Chilean right-wing public intellectual. He was born in Concepcion, Chile's second city, in 1898 to a German family. The family spoke German. He attended German schools. He went to more schools in Germany. He was a professor in Germany, etc., etc. Right? The guy's a German, all right? He was an academic, and he received his doctorate, like I said, in Germany, where he was specifically connected to two intellectuals, one Chilean, one German, exactly like him. The Chilean intellectual he was connected to was Luis Alberto Edwards Vives, uh, generally known as Alberto Edwards. He was a Chilean pro-aristocracy authoritarian type guy. He wrote a bunch of books about how Chile should be run by aristocrats. It should be run by, you know, the deserving. The German that he was connected to is a much more sinister and more connected figure, a guy named Oswald Spengler, a German intellectual who published a still influential book called The Decline of the West, which is about exactly what it sounds like, that old right-wing chestnut about how the Western world is in precipitous decline because of the left and like immigration and racial mixing and blah, blah, blah. Spengler would eventually become one of the intellectual forebears of the Nazi party, who of course loved his writings and thought that, you know, he was exactly right about the decline of the West, etc., etc. Spengler himself did not like the Nazis. He thought that they were, you know, a little bit too proletarian for his tastes, but that is usually how it works with right-wing intellectual leaders. Keller, influenced by all of these figures, comes back to Chile after his studies in 1921 and enters the academy for several years. First, he is a teacher in his native Concepcion, and then he moves to Santiago. He also gets a bunch of government clerk and management slash leadership type jobs, you know, running planning departments, stuff like that. 
His real political life begins in the 1930s. In 1932, he and a bunch of other far-right figures, including Jorge González von Mares, form the National Socialist Movement of Chile, Los Nazis. In Chilean Spanish, Nazis is spelled with a C when it's referring to the Chileans and with a Z when it's referring to the Germans. So these are Los Nazis. Keller was the intellectual of the group, no surprise. He led their magazines and newspapers and also made some failed attempts at electoral success but really got laughably nowhere. He won fewer than 1,000 votes in his attempts to be elected to the Chilean Congress. In 1938, the group fell apart because of an attempted putsch to install a right-wing general. This was led by Keller's co-founder, Von Maris, and it failed spectacularly, like absolutely not. This is very much like the German attempted putsch, the, the, the Munich putsch, the Beer Hall putsch that Adolf Hitler participated in. But instead of really catapulting the leader to national prominence in the way that it did in Germany, this completely destroyed the movement. It shuffled along until 1941, when Keller abandoned it. Von Mares had already abandoned it to sort of be a sort of crypto-communist. It's kind of confusing situation. Keller got off scot-free for his involvement in Los Nazis. He didn't really face any legal or political troubles at all. He continued as an academic and intellectual leader in Chile, and even actually got a bunch of government planning jobs continued into the 1940s by layer Chilean governments. He spent the rest of his life continuing as an academic, and at the end of his life was even a professor at the Escuela Militar, which is the Chilean military academy, where he taught during the Allende presidency, during the presidency of socialist Salvador Allende, between 1970 and 1973. At the time of Pinochet's coup in the end of 1973, September 11, 1973, he was still professor there. He died of arteriosclerosis, having seen the actual emergence of the kind of right-wing political force in Chile that he had spent his whole life hoping for. He died of arteriosclerosis this week in history, the 28th of February, 1974. So, Carlos Keller, we will see you in hell. All right, that was 15 Minutes of Fascism, a sadly topical podcast covering the global rise of the radical right. I'm Dr. Craig Johnson, thanking Sleepy Kitty Arts and Sleepy Kitty Music for our intro, outro, and graphics. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like, share, and subscribe, or you know, leave a review on whatever it is you're listening to this on. But iTunes is better. It's the one that people get podcast recommendations from. I don't know. If you really like the podcast, check out my Patreon at patreon.com slash 15 minutes of fascism. That's 15 minutes of fascism spelled out in all one word. That's also where you can reach me on Gmail, 15 minutes of fascism at gmail.com. I'm on Twitter at hist of the right. That's H I S T of the right and fascism 15. That's spelled out. And I'm on blue sky at one five M I N S O F F A S C. That's 15 minutes of fash. Thanks very much. And I'll talk to you next week. Thank you.